0: and welcome to adventures in north wales from go north wales i'm megan and in this series we're exploring more of north wales with its world-leading outdoor adventure activities brilliant beaches thrilling mountain scenery thriving food and drink industry and fascinating ancient culture and heritage In this episode, the North Wales countryside is simply breathtaking, so let's find out where you can go to see the most amazing landscapes. We'll be finding out the best ways to climb the highest mountain in England and Wales Snowdon, or as we call it here, Irwidva.
1: We live in a fantastic place. What I try and get over to people is we need to look after it. We need to respect the communities. They also need to look after nature.
0: And with the help of TV farmer Gareth Wynne-Jones, I'll track down the Carnedhae ponies who graze across Irwidva.
2: They are beautiful. They're majestic. They're magical. They're worth five minutes. You have to go up and see them.
0: But first, we've travelled just north of Llandidno to this incredible headland sticking out into the sea. We're at the Great Orm Country Park and I can assure you these views are breathtaking. I can just about see Blackpool to my right and I can just about see Anglesey to my left. It's not one to miss. So I'm here with Edith Bryan. Hi, Edith. Hello. How are okay. you? I'm really good, thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It's okay. Tell us, what is the Great Orm? <laughs> okay, so the Great
3: Orm is a limestone headland. It's uh, two miles long and one mile wide, and it's about 300 to 350 million years old. <gasps> uh, so originally it was little sea creatures that lived at the bottom of a tropical Ocean and the limestone is made up of their bones that have kind of fossilized over time. That's insane.
0: <laughs> so, but where does the name come from
3: then? So, the history that I've read is that sea boats that used to come in from uh, Viking sea boats that used to approach uh, the, the kind of land looked like uh, a sea monster rising from the sea. So, uh, it's got
0: some, some history with, with that, I think. So. But can you confirm, are there any <laughs> sea monsters here?
3: Not as far as I know, but you, you will probably see possibly dolphins, porpoises, and seals. So do look out. There's definitely a lot to see. So keep
0: an eye out. So it's a stunning place. Very treasured piece of North Wales. But what is there to do here on the Great Orm? OK, so there's plenty of attractions to
3: see. So first of all, Great Orm Tramway, the, the attraction that I work for, um, it's been here since 1902. Um, it's a fantastic and very unique piece of engineering. It's a a cable hauled tramway which takes you from Victoria Centre, which is in Plandidno, right up to the summit. Um, And basically, you can look out over Snowdonia, over to Anglesey. The views are spectacular. Um, There's also cable cars which run... almost parallel to the tramway but takes you higher up again Uh, so you get panoramic views right across the sea and you can see out as far as Blackpool and sometimes the Isle of Man no way (laughs) so um, yeah there's definitely plenty to see alongside that there's ski slopes so if you want a bit of family action there's a toboggan run there which is i think it's one of the longest toboggan runs in wales
0: yes i've (laughs) been on that one i've been on that one yeah i had a very sore throat after screeching (laughs) afterwards (laughs) so yeah again there's also uh, plenty of nature
3: trails and historic trails as well so um heaps of history fossil finding too much to cram into like a short interview but yeah there's plenty to do (laughs)
0: So what's that noise in the background now, we did?
3: You can just hear the tramway now leaving the summit station. They're currently testing um, and doing all the safety tests ready to get open for this season. So
0: yeah, you can hear those cables being uh, and the pulley system at the top. How cool. And we're sat just by where kind of where it sleeps, the tram sleeps. (laughs) And the views are just stunning. So I can just imagine how lovely it is when you like go all the way down and see Shantitno and just, it is stunning. So on the way up here, we saw Llandidno's famous goats. Yeah. This area is extremely rich in wildlife. Yeah. What would you expect to see when you come to the Great Orb? Okay, so
3: it's a designated site of scientific interest. So um, there's all kinds of uh, unique species of wildlife here. Uh, as i would mentioned before, just looking out to sea, you're going to see things. But also there's a lot of migrating birds that stop here when they're on their travels yeah. north and south. Um, there's... A lot of wildflowers here, so some very unique um, wildflowers grow in the kind of crevices of the the limestone cliffs, Mm -hmm. uh, which means that lots of insects and and butterflies and things uh, settle here. Um, So if you're into butterfly spotting, it's a perfect place to to come and have a look. There's some really unique species. One is called um, the silver-studded blue, which is uh, a unique subspecies to the great orm, um, and the grayling as well. Um, So there's a couple of butterflies that you could look out for. Um, there's also so many different types of birds. I couldn't list them all, but um, and it changes throughout the year. So, you know, if you're a bird enthusiast, there's plenty to see of bird life as well. And what do you personally love about the
0: Great Orm, then, Edith?
3: I love that it's so diverse, fossil finding particularly because of the unique limestone there's lots of fossils to find there's an area just near to the summit tram station uh, which is you know short walk you can take small kids and they can literally find fossils and take them home you know it's it's incredible it's something that they can keep forever that would stick with me forever (laughs) if i found a fossil and just knowing how old that is it's you know it's just insane so yeah
0: Well, Snowdonia National Park is teemed with wildlife from the very small pearl mussels and the Snowdon beetle, right the way up to our next subject, the Carneddau ponies. Gareth Wynne Jones, welcome to the Adventures in North Wales podcast.
2: Thank you very much. Here
0: we are at your farm, Tinluyvan, which listeners will know from the family farm on TV. Am I right?
2: Yes, we've had a few film crews over the years appear filming different projects and yeah, it's uh, a pretty idyllic place and I think I'm very, very fortunate to live in such a beautiful area uh, of Wales.
0: I, I was just going to say, it's so stunning. So behind us here is the Carneddau. In front of us is the vast, beautiful Minai Strait, and then beyond that, you can see Anglesey.
2: Yeah, or Barbados, as I call or it. Oh, Barbados, <laughs> Barbados, yeah.
0: So you've got the best of both worlds the mountains and the hillside, and then obviously the beautiful sea right in front of you here. Tell us about the history of
2: Tintlivan. So, Tintlivan's been in the family for 375 years. The farmhouse behind you is the old family farmhouse and um my great 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 grandmother lived there a very rich history and believe it or not just behind us here now is Dinas And if that's translated from the Welsh to the English, it means city. So that mountain is an ancient Celtic hill fort. And this was the first ever axe factory in the world. Yeah, going back to Metholithic times. So um, it's a pretty place that's steeped in history. But as well, it's living history. Yeah. And... Living history, of course, is the Carnethae Ponies.
0: Carnethae Ponies, yeah, that's what we are here to find out more about. So Gareth, how did they come to be a large herd of ponies up here in some pretty rough terrain?
2: That's a a really big story and (laughs) that's a long one to tell you. So at one stage, there would have been ponies running wild all over the country. You know, yeah. it, w- it would have been a vast expanse. The Carnarvon ponies go back to the Celtic times. So these, their DNA are traced back to that, you know, kind of era. Yeah. These most probably were the building blocks for the many of the ponies and the horses in Great Britain as, as we see them today. There's 220 breeding mares left in the world because they have to be on the Carnarvon mountains to be part of... That society yeah. and our ponies are, are very, very unique and very special. Um, they graze in a, in a different way to um, the sheep. So they graze the flora and fauna, especially in the winter time. And um, down by the, the lowlands, by the gates, the mountain gates, they'll graze the grass very, very short. Mm. And this is fantastic then for what we call the chuff, Brangois there's 18... Pairs here and you hear them every morning I hear them passing my house every morning and, and they make a crazy you know, I'll try I'll try and repeat the noise okay <laughs> Go on, then. so Go it's on. like it's just really, really strange. I'm not sure if my um, interpretation was good, but um, that was brilliant. You uh, definitely
0: sounded like a chuff.
2: <laughs> oh, I've been called worse. Don't <laughs> worry. But they fly over from the quarry, so they they nest in the quarry just behind us here. Yeah, and they fly over to Garagvao right here, right in front of you. Yeah, and they fly. This is their their their, this route. Is
0: their path, kind and of thing.
2: and they're around these fields as well. And again, you know, it's to do with the way that the ponies graze that has attracted them and given them such a fantastic biodiversity because the ponies, there is nowhere else um, where they are semi feral like this uh, in Great Britain and, you know, 27,000 acres of Cavanares Mountain Range is the biggest open space there is yeah. in England and Wales. And people look at Snowdonia and it's all about Errery and, <laughs> uh, you know, Snowdon, as they no call it, it but... um the Carneva is a gem, a jewel that people don't really know about. Less people walk up here. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more history on this side of the mountains. Oh. And, um, you know, you can get to see these ponies if you're uh, sharp enough and understand where they are. There's some great places where people can see them without really going far. So you can okay, go onto to yeah. the, the Suchran Pass in Conway, okay, which yeah. is a very easily pl- place where you can park and you can walk and you can see the, the ponies there. You can go to Gregin as well, to the Mountain Gate, yeah. and it's a five-minute walk on the Roman Road, and there they are. They are beautiful, they're majestic, they're magical, oh, and oh. they're worth a five-minute if you have time. Yes. You have to go up and see them, I, I, every time especially this time of year when we see the new folds coming and there's plenty of them it's just a feeling that you know that they're safe for another generation yeah.
0: well they are truly running wild as well aren't they
2: yeah you'd call them semi feral because we're, we're, we are managing them slightly you know we gather them once a year we yeah. take some of the older mares some of the, the males you know the colt falls off and we rehome them and, and that takes a bit of time there's a fantastic society um, but there's there's a fantastic come we would call yeah. uh, in in Welsh you know where everybody comes together to gather these ponies. And, you know, people from the village here, people from uh, Conway, people from, you know, Anglesey will come and help us gather these ponies. And it's nice, you know, when you've got 20 or 30 big quads and (laughs) big kids on them, you know, high octane and and up there and gathering them and... uh, Yeah, it's a buzz, but when you bring them down and get them in the field there and just everything cools down, it's a beautiful feeling them walking through these ponies, picking the mares and foals and taking them into the yard. Cutting their tails because we cut their tails to know that they've been in. We've got a vet here to do a health check. You know, make sure there's nothing going back up that's not going to survive a winter. And education is key with everything. And I think you know, the more people understand about these ponies, and the more we can get the message out there, the better chance they have of surviving.
0: So you said obviously they are just stunning creatures, but what? Do they look like do they look any different to like a normal say Welsh mountain pony
2: well they 're about an inch smaller than the section a quite um robust as well you know they 're very uh, short and stocky mm. but you've you 've got to think that some of the ponies that are on the lower parts of um, the cavern are quite different to the ones that are up on the right on the top you know um, so there is differences in them because Oh, we have a saying in Welsh uh Q and ifar so um the chick that's born in hell, can yeah. live in hell. Yeah. And these yeah, yeah, are important yeah. things. They've
0: acclimatized to Exactly. Yeah, and, the area and their bodies
2: have adapted to that situation, to the vegetation and to the area. And let me tell you, it can be tough up there in the winter on 3,000 feet. Yes. Yeah.
0: Is it just one big herd or do they have pockets of little herds?
2: So they're like you would say little families. So oh, the society yeah. groups and the society groups are run by the older mayor so everybody thinks that the stallion's the big chief but no it's it's the old ladies that are in charge always they're the the clever ones rightfully
0: so rightfully so
2: (laughs) i suppose that's in everything in society really but we won't go down that road
0: obviously wildlife and in the countryside you do have to respect it you can't just be walking on on farmers land you know dogs without lead and stuff Approaching one of the Kanedae ponies probably isn't a good idea. They, how tame are they?
2: If you look at the ones down on the Suchran Pass, um, they'll be pretty tame. Yeah. People. You know, interact with them every single day, so they're used to okay, interaction. Yeah, yeah. Um, we try to tell people not to, you know, interact with them too much because we want them to be as well. But yeah. it's nice for them to go there and you know take a picture. The children see them; they can tell that story of how you know they've seen the Cavendish ponies. One thing we really do ask people is not to feed them. You know, of the, the yeah. that side of things is we we have had a, the last three or four years we've had a, quite a lot of trouble and. You know, one of the things that you could do is kill them by giving them they're carrots, yeah. apples, something that their um, stomachs aren't used to. It, it, it's got too much sugar in it. So they're used to very, very poor vegetation, but their bodies can adapt to that. Yes, so, yeah. yeah, we could ask people, yeah, to enjoy them, but not to feed them.
0: So Gareth, tell me, what can visitors expect when they come here to the Carnedale?
2: So, believe it or not, we do offer immersive tours. Uh, we've been doing them for seven years now. Wow. Yeah, and they're, they're quite unique, they're quite bespoke, um, and you could do anything and everything to do with the carneri, to do with sheepdog training, um, to do with sheep shearing, and it's just something that I really enjoy some of the smaller tours we do then um, we take them up onto the Caranerai in a little Honda Pioneer buggy which will carry four people yeah it's a yeah, it's a bit of a hell ride. If you, if, if you like the, like the zipline, it's like the zipline on it's, steroids, yeah. <laughs> Except if you're not coming down, steroids. you're going up and down. <laughs> That's a line. You should have that printed on the yeah. side. The
0: zipline on steroids. Oh, perfect.
2: And they get to see the ponies. They get to see the Roman road. I take them to see the Nine Man's Morris, which is an, an ancient stone where the Roman soldiers would play a game which is quite similar to and People just love the history yeah. there, you know. Yeah. I think it's it's not just experience, but it, it, it's something educational. I think, you yeah. know, it's something that makes people think about food production mm. and how important it is to be buying yeah. food that's seasonal, that's local, and that's environmentally friendly produced. And the, these are the things that we need to be putting over if we want to change climate, yeah. you know, and if we want to help to save our carbon footprint. All these things are so, so important. You know, it's something that we believe can hopefully sustain a future for our children and
0: carry on this strong history you have at wow. tin van farm yeah,
2: it, it would be nice to know that there is a, another generation yeah. to carry on this legacy
0: thank you so much for having a chat with us um so you mentioned this honda am i allowed to have a ride on it with you
2: <laughs> if you're ready um, yeah
0: <laughs> i'm ready i'm ready <laughs> let's
2: hit the hills yes let's go live in the dream <laughs>
0: I'm Megan and this is Adventures in North Wales from Go North Wales. A trip to this area wouldn't be complete without one thing, reaching the top of Snowdon. When you're at the summit looking out over Snowdonia, there's no feeling like it. It sounds daunting, I know, but don't worry. There's plenty of routes up the mountain for all abilities. Right now, I'm walking the Watkin Path with Stephen Jones from Anelli Aim Higher. Hello, Stephen. Morning. How are you today?
1: Yeah, I'm good, thank you very much.
0: Well, thank you so much for showing us this path. This is Watskin Path, am I right?
1: It is the walking Path, yeah.
0: How many paths are there up to Snowdon?
1: There's many routes um, up to the summit of Snowdon. Some are more established than others, but there's probably uh, five or six established paths that you can use uh, to gain the summit area.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, so for someone who wants to climb Snowdon but doesn't know how, what advice would you give them?
1: Probably planning's the biggest elements they can do to make the day more enjoyable and probably safer as well. What we tend to look at is the weather, obviously, uh, the type of route they're going to undertake, any clothing and equipment they require, and probably the people that they're thinking of taking with them as well.
0: And what time of year is best to climb?
1: Well, that's a hard one because Snowden's there and, you know, the mountains are there to be enjoyed throughout it's a, the year. It's really. there
0: all yeah. year round, isn't it? It's not going anywhere. No,
1: <laughs> thankfully. Um, but a lot of it's down to y- your own ability, the ability of the group and, you know, the experience and the skills that you've got to have a safe day out in the, in the mountains.
0: How long does it take to get up and back down?
1: Another tricky question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All depends on your ability, I suppose, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it's the time of year, it's the weather, it's your ability, the number of people in your group. But for, for an average group of four, say, it normally takes anything between four and six hours.
0: What routes could families take if they've got children, maybe?
1: OK, that's an interesting question because, for me, uh, the enjoyment of everyone in that group is really important. Yeah, so yeah. they get that taste for coming out in the outdoors and they want to come back again. So I suggest for a family walk, especially for the ones that may be venturing out for the first time, I suggest the Llanberis path. Although it's slightly longer, Llanberis. it is generally a bit easier underfoot.
0: And what if you're a bit more experienced, which one would you recommend?
1: Okay, well, on the other side of Snowdon, there, we've got um, two starting points from Pass Car Park.
0: I've taken that. I've been on that one. There you go. So yeah. from there, we've got
1: <laughs> uh, the pig track and also the miners' track. Uh-huh. And the good thing about the Pass Car Park now is that there's good public services. Uh, so there's a great bus transport system servicing the Pass uh-huh. Car Park, which means, uh, yeah, you can access it really easily and have a a more interesting journey from the miners and the pig track.
0: The route we're on now, the Watkin Path, would you recommend this one?
1: So the Watkin Path has different sections to it really. The the lower section is quite interesting. We've just gone through the woodland now and we're starting to come on the upper section of the track. And then um, there's a series of waterfalls, lovely scenery, but it's, it's manageable to be honest, it's a good track. And then as we get past the quarry, we go into the mountain proper, which becomes a bit more challenging. The the ground gets a bit steeper, the terrain changes, and then the final third really is quite committing. And I suggest that's more for perhaps more experienced people with a better level of navigation and certainly um, people that are more confident on steeper terrain because it it does become a lot more challenging.
0: There is an easier way up the mountain, though, isn't there? You don't have to walk it.
1: No, there's a, there is a train that goes there's up and down. There's a train. Oh, good,
4: good, good. Yeah, and that's a fantastic
1: experience in itself, to be honest. Um, and it's a great option for people who maybe aren't as mobile okay. or maybe don't feel as fit as uh, they could be or need, need to be to maybe walk up and down. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's um, limited service at the moment and the Summit Cafe is closed. So again, going back to the planning Stage of any activity in the outdoors. Really finding out about where you can yeah. park, where you can stay overnight, uh, best place to start your journey, and what facilities are there uh, along the route as well.
0: Anelli, aim higher. Tell us about that, Stuart.
1: Okay, so we provide activities in the outdoors for families, youth groups, individuals, charities, and private bespoke groups as well.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, everything from we're well, primarily mountain based, so climbing, walking. Uh, We also do bushcraft activities, which are really popular with uh, school groups.
0: So what is it about Snowdonia and Snowdon itself that excites you?
1: I think being brought up in North Wales as a youngster, we always went out in the fields, the mountains, fishing, walking, climbing... So I think it's something that's been inside me since I was a a young child, really. And then as an adult growing up in the area, it's hard not to get out in the outdoors in North Wales and enjoying yourself from the beaches through to the mountains and the streams and rivers. But for me, getting excited in the outdoors um, comes from being out in winter, really. (laughs) I'm a winter man. I like the wind and the rain and the snow. You're a winter man. Yeah, I do. So from a personal perspective, uh, I think the mountains come alive in winter, especially with the, the winter cold and the more challenging conditions that are available.
0: Yeah. Well, there's something to do here all year round, isn't there?
1: Yeah, there is. We, we live in a fantastic place. Um, you know. And a big part of my courses and what I try and get over to people is we need to look after it. We yes. need to respect the communities that we sort of work, walk through and work with. And then we also need to um, look after nature. You know, we do have an impact on the outdoors. We just need to make it as little as possible and hopefully it'll be there for generations to come.
0: Yeah. Can I ask, how many times do you reckon you've walked or climbed Snowdon? Go <laughs> on, give me an estimate.
1: That's a question I get asked very, very often. <laughs> um, and my answer to that is normally, in a normal year, then it's anything between 100 and 120 times a year.
0: A hundred and a hundred... Twi-
1: yeah, I'm very lucky, actually.
0: <laughs> wow! And do you still get that feeling of you know euphoria when you're up there and you can see all of north wales below you do you still get that excitement
1: yeah so every day is different you know we take school groups up there we take individuals up there i go up there on my own for my own enjoyment uh, up different routes not just the walking paths but you know we take different ways up the mountain to make it a bit more interesting and depending on the weather conditions as well So no, it it never, never loses appeal. It's a fantastic mountain. It's a fantastic place to be in whatever weather, really. Day or night, but again, you know, we need to look after these places and make sure that they're there for generations to come.
0: Well, thank you so much for having a chat with us, Stephen from Anneli Aim Higher. This podcast isn't quite long enough for us to reach the top of Snowden, so we'll have to leave you here. But that's such a shame. Happy climbing, and we'll see you soon.
1: Okay, thanks so much.
0: From the beautiful surroundings of Snowdon, we've travelled north and crossed the Menai Suspension Bridge into Anglesey. And you find me here at Place Cadenant Hidden Gardens with Anthony Taverner, who owns and has lovingly restored the gardens here. Hello, Anthony. Hello, hello. Thank well, you so welcome, much. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Anthony, this view is stunning. Just driving up into the hidden gardens here, you really get a sense of it's almost like the Secret Garden, you know, the film. It's it's so intricate, isn't it? Yes,
5: most people don't realise why it's called hidden gardens. Yes, why is it's it called? It's because they think it's because we can't find it. But actually, the reason is I I've been here uh, over twenty five years, and in those days, anybody visiting would have to have a chainsaw in their hand <laughs> to. look around because everything was totally overgrown most of the gardens hadn't been touched for about 70 years oh wow so uh that's why we've had to uncover them. That's why they're hidden. But been, they're no longer hidden.
0: They are no longer hidden, no. So it's been quite some work done in the last 25 years. But tell us about the history of the gardens before the last 25 years.
5: Uh, well, uh, we go back to the Iron Age. We've got an Iron Age hill fort behind, but I'll, I'll skip a few centuries. And <laughs> uh, then most of the recent history commenced around 1800, where a guy, Mr. John Price. He was a fairly prosperous guy and he used to manage the copper mine at Amluck. And through marriage, he inherited quite a, They came into quite a lot of land and he decided to build himself a new house and this is the spot that he chose. I think partly because it's alongside the Menai Strait, very near to one of the ferries. So in those days, it would have been very important because the bridges weren't there. They, they came along later. So having a house near to the ferry would have been quite a useful thing. A
0: handy thing, yes, yes.
5: But it's also a perfect place to create gardens because uh, we have a valley at the side of the house going down to the River Cadnant. And because it's fairly sheltered, it's a microclimate. So the humidity is higher and we can grow all sorts of special plants. And we also benefit from being near the sea because of the Gulf Stream. So we can grow tender plants uh, similar to in Cornwall or along the west coast of Scotland. Uh We benefit from the similar climate.
0: So going back 25 years, what made you want to restore
5: these gardens to what it is today? To be quite truthful, I didn't really know about the gardens when I first came here. I'm a farmer. I came to view the place. It was for sale. And... I was lo- It was looking for another farm because there's land here, but the gardens were completely overgrown. But it was sort of very intriguing. And sometimes you follow your heart instead of your head. Yes. Uh, but over the years, it's all unfolded and we discovered what's here.
0: How did you start? You know, like I would have no idea where to start.
5: Well, we did an awful lot of research okay. because obviously I didn't know anything about the background and we've discovered all sorts of things uh, this is about the buildings and about the the landscape the parkland etc and the gardens and more recently we've been given some old photographs of what it was like in the 1880s oh, wow. and that's very helpful and a lot of the old ordnance survey maps are also very helpful
0: you speak so beautifully and passionately about it but can I ask, what can visitors see when they come here? What can they expect?
5: The majority of visitors here, especially for the first time, are quite surprised because they come up the drive and they arrive at the visitor centre and they haven't even seen anything, but it's sort of, it set a... Um, set the tone. Yes, yes, yes. 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 Uh, and they expect the gardens to be relatively small and when you go around they're much larger than people realize yeah 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 yeah.
0: (laughs) so it's three distinct gardens
5: yes we have the wall garden which is the first garden that people see now that's the garden that has changed because originally it would be fruit and vegetables etc but now it's an ornamental garden so uh, and then we have the valley gardens which go down to the river and that's where the waterfalls are and then we have the upper garden at the top uh, it's a little bit more exposed, but it, there are trees giving a bit of shelter, but we can grow a different range of plants, things that are slightly more tender, because as it's elevated, any cold frosts, etc., drain down.
0: So do you get a real sense of satisfaction when you see guests you know, appreciating the gardens? Well,
5: you realise that opening a garden like this, it's very much two-way. It's, it's very nice to share the garden with interested visitors because we have a lot of really lovely people here yeah. and that goes with most garden visitors. Yes. So it, it, it's very nice to share it with them.
0: The gardens regularly feature on lists of the best gardens in the UK. What is it about Place Cadnant Hidden Gardens that makes them so special?
5: If you're here whilst we have visitors, you hear the conversations Lots of people, and they're just in And we have a lot of regular visitors that come very often because every couple of weeks the garden has changed completely. Of course. So every couple of weeks, right through till the end of October, there's always some interest.
0: Anthony, thank you so much for chatting with us today. What else do we need to see while we're here on Anglesey?
5: Well, a lot of visitors to Anglesey very much enjoy the wildlife. Uh, because as you realise, there's a lot of wildlife here—birds, etc.—and red squirrels. Anglesey is very diverse, and on the opposite side of Anglesey, South Stack, you've got a wonderful bird sanctuary, and the RSBB site is there. So, a lot of our visitors staying in the holiday cottages, they also visit the, the South Stack, South South Stack. Oh, yeah, because amazing. of the wildlife. Oh yeah.
0: fab! Well, thank you so much for showing us these wonderful hidden gardens, and we'll take your recommendation and head off to South Stack next then. travelled east to west taking in the sheer beauty of the North Wales landscape and where better to finish than here at Southstack looking out at the Irish Sea. We're right up at the most westerly point of Anglesey on Holy Island and Laura Kudelska is the site manager for the RSPB here at Southstack. Hello Laura Hello, it's lovely to meet you there, And youth too. Well, you too, so thank you so much for having us. Whoa <laughs> this is pretty breathtaking it's just miles and miles of sea in front of us it's like endless I'm not sure
4: where the sky starts and the sea finishes you know <laughs> so just coming over towards the cliff if you look to the right when we get over here you'll be able to see our seabird colony of mainly guillemots and um, some razorbills and occasionally if you look on the sea you can spot a puffin with their little orange beaks <gasps> I want to see a puffin. We quite regularly get wind speeds up here of 80 miles an hour, so it can be, it's yes, pretty breathtaking on days like that. <laughs> They're not days to come to the cliff edge, no, but um, no. certainly from a car you can watch it. So down below us at the moment, you can see little black and white flecks all over the cliff line. Yes. They, there yes. are um, guillemots. <gasps> and the cliffs look like they've got pale areas. That's actually where they've pooed on the cliff line, oh. and it creates this paler colour at this time uh, of year then it washes away in the winter and so they go back to being grey again we're quite high up now aren't we so there's a bit are, of a drop yes. down how yeah, much is this yeah. drop of, over the yeah, cliff it's here several hundred feet along oh, along right, this stretch okay. of. it's actually very famous for climbers so the, the oh. cliff line on our right is called Red Wall and um, outside of the bird breeding season so from the 1st of August uh, climbers will be back here climbing that cliff line we're the first place in the UK to make an agreement with the um, BMC about climbing restrictions during bird breeding seasons really yeah 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 that was set up by um yeah Wales, and it's worked so well um it's been rolled out in other locations as well so yeah yeah, it's been brilliant there are other areas that climbers can use at this time of year but this area obviously because of the seabirds is restricted but they're a little bit like penguins in their behaviors the guillemot they have their eggs on their feet and they just sort of perch on the side of the cliff yeah and once the chicks have um Grown and mum and dad need to go out to sea again to feed. The chicks have to jump off the cliff <gasps> and they can't fly. Oh. So, um, when this happens the in risk-takers. the evenings, yeah, it's well, you can see how high it is. Some, yeah. of, some of the guillemots and razorbill chicks will have to jump over 100 foot and they flap like crazy. And because they, they can't fly, yeah. they just sort of dive bomb into the water. And it's an amazing sight to see, but it happens in the evening, so you've got to keep an eye out when you start to see the numbers. Changing yeah. here, and you pop down and yeah. watch them of an evening jumping off the cliff. And it is, it's, you know, it's terrifying around the, the cliff line towards the steps. If you go down the steps, you can look back, and there's an amazing view um, that you get of the other seabirds' colony. And we've got incredible uh, rock formations here as well. Anglesey is kind of uh, well known in Britain for its uh, rock formations, they're, they're amazing. We get people come from all over the world to see them. I just can't get over how many birds. No, you and there's have a here? lot of birds. There's a lot of birds, lot of birds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The ones on the sea, they call that rafting when they all sort of lumped together it's yeah. mum and dad having a bit of a break <laughs> between um, spending time on the cliff and going out to feed So to our left along the sea line here um, is the stacks of South Stack which oh, yeah. stick out along the cliff line so if you walk along this section here and look back you can see all the stacks lining up with the, the um, islands that we've got here well that's a chuff So a chuff nest in sea caves do they? Yeah, so it's really unusual. Most people assume that something looks like a crow nests, you know, in trees. But yeah. they actually nest in sea caves. And they have got this amazing ability to fold their wings. And there we go, there's oh. one going past us now. We can see the red beak. Oh yes! There you go. Scanning along the cliff. Oh just see the so chuff. We've got a, <laughs> we've got a pair that nests in a sea cave just down here called Mr and Mrs. Mousetrap. Oh. oh there we go. Oh that. that's a partner there. <gasps> so she, this year she'll equal the oldest um, breeding bird in Wales that's ever been recorded, if she's successful. Really? Yeah, she's in her early 20s, which for a chuff is, is a really good age.
0: <gasps> oh, so I now see the stairs
4: that yes. goes all yeah, around. Yeah, incredible. 400 steps. So 400 you need to be fit <laughs> to go down. Yes, yeah, down yeah. Down yeah. to the bridge and across to the lighthouse, yeah. It almost looks like a Greek island, doesn't does, not it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a clear day the seas... It's like the, the Mamma seas, Mia. Tis, it does look like that, yeah. Staircase, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But we're actually on Anglesey.
5: I know, well, no, we would never right
4: know. Right here yeah. in North Wales. <laughs> it is. Off the end here uh, of the island, when you look out to sea, when the tides are turning, we get a churn of water that comes up. You can see sort of white okay, breaking yeah, on yeah, the yeah. surface. That's the water being churned up. Meeting and that brings consume. food with it and all the fish. Ah. And that's where we tend to see... Um, porpoise and bottlenose dolphins feed wow. along that section there as well but you do need binoculars to, to get a good view of them it's just stunning it's it just is. stunning you can just carry on staring and find something new every second you can you can and there's, a, there's a, um, a grey seal that hangs out a lot near the bridge going over to the island really? so the staff that worked on the island called it Neil the Seal oh. so it's quite often <laughs> seen along this stretch in the um, late summer early autumn we have breeding seals along this piece of coastline mm. on the rocky shores and in the bays. so yeah there's always something to see at different times of the year yeah well thank you so much thank laura
0: honestly there's just so much to see here you're welcome. i'm just standing here in awe of how beautiful it is and just how vast the sea looks here it, it, it's like you're standing at the end of the world it is isn't it yeah. <laughs> I hope that has given you a flavour of just some of the incredible scenery on offer here in North Wales. There's so much more to explore too. Head to gonorthwales.co.uk to find out more. Remember, hit subscribe and rate the podcast. In the next episode, we'll be tasting the food and drink of North Wales. From me, Mekantlin on Holy Island, hopefully see you soon here in North Wales. Hwylfawr.